Welcome to the Hyper Voice, episode 113. This is a show all about Pokemon's video game championship series. I'm your host, Steven Morioka, and I am here with Alex Underhill. Hello. And Donald Smith Jr. Yo, what's up? We are here after the uh, region qualifiers for the Players' Cup 2 have concluded. Uh, we're going to talk about that stuff a little bit later. But uh, first, I just wanted to shout out uh, Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield, the video games. And, uh, you know, this past weekend, they also turned a year old. So happy birthday to Sword and Shield. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been, uh, it's crazy to think that it's been over a year since then. Uh, this was also around the time of uh, Brazil Internationals, I believe. Um, was it Brazil? Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm. Uh, that was happening like the exact same weekend that uh, the games were being released. So shout outs to the players that were there playing Ultra Series, uh, probably miserable while a uh, <laughs> new game was being dropped on a new on a new console, and we were all having the time of our lives. Uh, yeah, really funny to think that's where we were a year ago, um, and also like, yeah, just to think how far we've come with these games, man. It's been a it's been a wild year uh, with the the transition onto the Switch and. Everything else that has been going on. Yes. So, you know, Donald, we actually have some, uh, you know, just a follow-up question about that is, you know, how did you get your start into VGC? You know, was it with the Switch? Was it earlier? And um, what, you know, we also, uh, so just for it to be, you know, transparent with everybody, you know, Donald is also a uh, Magic the Gathering player um, and, uh, you know, works for them. And, uh, Donald, why don't you just go into your, uh, beginnings in Pokemon as well as your, the other game you play. Yeah, sure. So, um, the last time I played Pokemon, uh, was Gen 4. I used to actually play, like, Gen 4 OU, uh, but, you know, fast forward now, I randomly got a Switch, like, sometime last year, and, um... I don't know how, I don't know like the specific point, but basically I was looking for a new competitive outlet because I used to be a Magic Pro, but then I got hired with Wizards, uh, so I had to stop. So I was looking for a new competitive outlet, and um, I don't know what happened. Like I beat the Pokemon story like anyone else, and then uh, one day in December I just stumbled onto VGC, and because I, I remember like oh I used to play OU in Gen Four. And then there's like, oh, this new doubles format and this and that. And then I just dove head it like head first and went super deep starting in like January was when I just started consuming every article and watching coverage and all that. Yeah, Donald, so that is a uh, super cool. Um, just to hear about that. You know, you are, you know, one of those people who really kinda jumped into VGC with uh the coming of, you know, VGC on the Switch on Sword and Shield. So that's uh, pretty awesome to hear that you're, you know, somewhat of a uh newer player to the scene. Um, so what, uh, another question we wanted to ask about, you know, this, you know, competitive Pokemon compared to Magic the Gathering is how, uh, how are they different? How are they similar? And uh, I guess what was your, what's your history with Magic the Gathering, that game? And I guess your, uh, path to becoming, um, an employee there with Wizards. Yeah. So with my history of Magic, I'm actually, I'm like kind of a newbie to Magic, relatively speaking too. Uh, I started in 2013, but the game's been around since 95, so like all of my peers have been playing for, tw you know, 20, 25 years or whatever, while I'm like, oh, I've only been playing for seven, which feels like a lot, but isn't. Um, <laughs> That's really fun. Yeah, so I just started going to 
basically the regional equivalent and then the international equivalent uh, in Magic. And just I, I just started playing a lot. I was in college and I won enough to like keep funding to travel. And there was a spot open. They scouted me and they're like, you know, I, I can't really explain it, but they they said I had a really good knack for designing cards and stuff. So I got hired on to, with them. But at the same time, I was like at the height of my pro career. Um, like I was ranked 15th in the world kind of thing. So uh, after I got hired, I, I loved my job, but like I was really hungry because like I felt like, you know, I could have been the best in the world at something. And then that's just kind of what led me to VGC. And it it fits nicely because it's, I tried like other card games and like, it's just, I already play magic so much at work that like, uh, I can't play another card game that just kind of like melts my brain doing the same thing too much. But uh mm-hmm. I really like that VGC is different, but so many of the like meta strategy things you got to think about are the same. So like just analyzing usage stats and thinking about probabilities and all. So my skills just translated really well. And the other thing is uh, the communities are like surprisingly similar. Um, so just the whole like local scene where you go to locals and then you fly to like regionals is very similar to magic. Mm-hmm. And that's a really big part for me, just like the in-person interaction. Cause I can't play these digital games and just like ladder on my computer all day. Like I really just want to go out and talk to people and meet friends and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That is something that I very much miss about uh, the VGC scene. The live tournaments work right. Uh, but that's really fun that uh, it, it, it makes sense that you come to this. Like a lot of people do say that uh, VGC almost does feel like a card game just with, uh, I don't know how like, you're making so many limited uh, decisions. Like you're only making about two, maybe three. If you're making, if you're like volt switching or U-turning or something, uh, decisions per turn. You know, there's not a lot of, but there's like a lot that goes into those decisions. And I think something that makes VGC especially unique and what separates it from most card games, if not all, is that the turns play out simultaneously. You know, that's like the one thing that VGC has going for it that's like super unique and I really love is uh, it's a decision making game that, again, on paper could almost be a card game. But because they're playing out at the exact same time, that's just not something you see anything uh, see anywhere else. Yeah, I'm actually surprised when I started like going like when I really got into VGC, I'm like, wait, there's all these like card games cropping up here and there. Like, why isn't there like a like a. I don't know. So I don't know what you even call this genre, but like, it feels like there should be other games like this that people play competitively. Cause it, I, I think the basic game system is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's a, uh, one of those things, how people always describe the game as, you know, a complex combination of poker, chess and rock, paper, scissors. Um, that's like the common denominations I hear about it. And uh, it's cool because the turns play out simultaneously, which makes us a uh, quite a unique game. Um, so, you know, uh, Donald, you have uh, designed, or you're a current designer for uh, the cards uh, for Magic, and um, you know, how did uh, how did that come about? You know, are you an artist, like kind of by trade? Are you uh, is that something that you're passionate about? Oh sure, um, yeah, I, yeah. It just kind of fell into my lap this uh, amazing opportunity that it gave me because I was like, I was I was in college studying to become a math teacher and like. I was just doing my own thing, and then, yeah, this happened. Like, I have no former, like, official game design training. Not that there is, like, much out there, but, uh, 
yeah, I don't, I don't know how it happened, but they just said I had a knack for like making cards and, um, uh, to be specific, cause game designer means a lot of different things. Like I, I like, I don't do any like of the card illustration or anything. Like I, I basically create a card from scratch kind of thing. And, uh, a lot goes into that, of course, but, um, yeah, it, it's such a weird, it's so niche and stuff. So it's really hard to describe it in like other terms. Cause it's, uh, it's like an emerging field that I think, you know, in a, a decade or two, there, there will be like degrees about this, but, uh, right now I'm, I'm at the forefront leading the charge, I guess. That's kind of fun. That's like, it just, it's something that, you know, you don't necessarily find somebody with the exact, uh, skill set for it, uh, in this age. So, uh, people are going to come from all different types of backgrounds. That's really fun. Um, yeah, that, that, again, it's just really interesting to uh, see the approach to VGC from somebody who uh, came from an entirely different game. But it's really cool that you've got VGC now to uh, delve all the way into, as you said, just because uh, you, you can't continue your career in Magic. But uh, I, hopefully VGC has been fulfilling enough. You've, uh, you've been doing pretty well for yourself over these past uh, couple of months in... Uh, in um, Sword and Shield in this new generation in VGC, uh, man, uh, Steven, I've, uh, I've, uh, talked quite a bit with Donald in like, uh, personal chats and stuff, and it can be crazy listening to this guy talk because of how <laughs> new he is to VGC. Uh, like to quote him, uh, he called fake out a boomer move, um, <laughs> Whoa, because, <my> God. <laughs> because he's like, He's just like, you know, this move is not even that, like, hot, you know? Like, uh, I get that maybe it was good in old formats, but it's not good now. And so, like, I, you guys are just clinging to your old ways, you know? Like, and I think that's actually been one of the most, like, fresh things uh, about, like, uh, getting to see Donald's um, experience in VGC and why I think it's very interesting to hear what he has to say about uh, VGC coming from an entirely different background, but also just coming into VGC uh, in 2020, you know, much after all these other formats that, you know, rewarded very different skill sets. And so it, it, Donald is very focused on the here and now and what is working now. And so he's, his brain is not poisoned by all the VGCs of past years. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned fake out because like, yeah, the other thing is like rock slide. Like everyone was talking about rock slide when I'm like researching the game. I'm like, I don't get it. Like you can't flinch a Dynamax Pokemon. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rock slide was a uh, great move in the past. You know, it's still decent maybe not the best anymore but um you know it's it's still solid move choice and for coverage and stuff but um yeah like just to you know bring up boomer stuff like uh donald you were kind of mentioning uh how when you were playing competitive magic how you're relatively new to this scene and there are a bunch of players who've been playing for a long time like 20 25 years i'm kind of like that for pokemon i've been around for 15 years which isn't a long time really but um in pokemon years it's a lot so i'm kind of one of those people uh, um, actually, it's like about the most you can be. Like, uh, yes, that's Don true. Don <laughs> like, uh, Donald, I don't know how much you're familiar with like VGC's history, but um, like it yeah, started as it basically started as like something called like JAA. Like a year before that, it was called something else. But um, yeah, like it started like in 2006 as like JAA Journey Across America, and then eventually became VGC in like 2008. And uh, Steven's been playing, like, all of those years. Like, he, he has been around <laughs> since forever. So, uh, whatever it was called back then, uh, Steven was playing it. But, uh, yeah, all the way up until now, it, it, it was VGC in 2008 on... Or I guess, wait, it was 2008 VGS. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. 
Okay, yeah, 2009 it was VGC. It was Video Game Showdown in 2008, whatever. It was the same thing, but different. Um, Man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the there's too much history to catch up on, and Stephen and I have talked about it in the past episodes, so uh, we're not going to go through all of it. But yeah, and we're going to have more of that in the future. But um, for now, last thing I want to say about the uh, Magic the Gathering thing uh, for you, Donald, is that your uh, job sounds you know really cool. Also, it also sounds uh, really challenging as well. So I don't envy you in that regard. Um, so a lot of respect to you there. But um, let's move on here to talk about uh, the Pokemon Players Cup 2. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, that this event, the region qualifiers for all four regions, have concluded this past weekend. However, um, I do want to confirm with uh, you, Alex, that um, both you and Donald are unable to speak about the results uh, of the uh, this past weekend. Yeah, so we're currently unable to talk about the results just because we were selected to uh, record games for it and are currently basically under NDA. And uh, so it's going to make things a little bit tricky for the show going forward for these next couple of weeks. The uh, The broadcast will air, I think, December 5th weekend or so um, is when I believe um, they're going to start airing these games. And so yep. definitely tune in. Then uh, you'll see or potentially see, uh, you know, like, you're going to see some uh, games from uh, this past weekend uh, then. Uh, but yeah, we I, we just can't go into detail about them because uh, we had to sign an NDA. So uh, that's really all there is to say on that. Um, but uh, there are things that we can talk about from uh, this past weekend. Like, uh, it, obviously, Donald and I uh, both went 5-0. and I think that was something we mentioned in the last episode. Uh, and that is something that we're allowed to talk about because it was, you know, of course, before this uh, second week of play. And uh, we both obviously used teams in the tournament and uh, we're allowed to talk about those teams as well. So uh, I ended up um, tweeting out my team. Uh, Donald did as well. Uh, so I definitely recommend going and checking out both of our uh, Twitter accounts if you want to, you know, follow along uh, with what we're going to be talking about Um uh, I'm going to go ahead and plug Donald's now, just uh, even though we normally plug the Twitters at the end of the show. Um, Donald, do you want to just go ahead and say your Twitter now? Yeah, it's uh, twitter.com, uh, Donald WSJR, uh, so it's my initials, um, and yeah. I'm sure it'll be in some show notes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so this will just, uh, we'll plug it again at the end, but I just wanted to, if anybody wanted to uh, follow along while with us while we're talking. Anyway, um, Donald, if you wanted to go ahead and talk about your team first, uh, we'll get to mine afterwards. We've talked about mine a little bit last episode, but I'm going to go into further detail now that uh, I, I can just kind of put it all out there. So uh, let's go ahead and start with uh, your team, though, Donald. Yeah, my team's uh, pretty simple, but um, it's uh, Glacier, uh, Moltres, and then those two are both supported by... Uh, Screens with Grimmsnarl, Redirection with Amoongus, and then I have uh, Dusclops for a Trick Room mode, Tapu Fini, uh, just because it's Tapu Fini. Um, so, yeah, it's, I guess other than the Grimmsnarl, my team feels like basically the most standard thing you could do in the format right now. Uh, but Grimmsnarl over Regieleki, uh, like a lot of people use Screens Regieleki, like, really gives it a lot of bulk, like Spirit Break, it changes the dynamic of so many matchups. Uh, but yeah, what else do you want to know about the team? Because it's not that unique or anything. 
So I, I guess we talked about Grimmsnarl a bit in the last episode since we had Nails on, but um, it's just uh, Grimmsnarl is super, super fun. I am a big fan of it uh, right now. Um, like, I, I guess I want to ask, uh, what led you to choose, um, uh, I guess, Moltres and uh, Glacier to be your, uh, your, I guess, primary Dynamax Pokemon? You know, that you might have Dynamax a Finny, or uh, really, that's just it. I, if you Dynamax yeah. a Moongus, Grimmsnarl, or Dustclops, I'm going <laughs> to be surprised. Um, you know, but th- those two being the primary damage-dealing Pokemon, was this a, a bit of new t- new toy syndrome? Were these Pokemon very powerful and needed to be abused? What like what led you to building a team around uh, the both of them? Yeah, so this is actually where I used my uh, newfound game designer experience because um, everyone was hyping up Landris, Tapus, and whatever, all these legendaries that I had never heard of before. But then, like, as the people started playing them, they're like, ooh, I can't get this to work and this and that. And then, like, the big thing was the move pools. Like, none of the Tapus have uh, the terrain moves, and, like, a lot of them just don't have, like, fairy coverage or whatever. Uh, so... <laughs> that was like that just like went in my brain i was like oh this seems like a very deliberate attempt to nerf these old legendaries to make the new toys shine like i'm uh very familiar with that tactic and so that's why <laughs> i just honed in on these new pokemon i'm like okay well i see what they're doing at game freak you know speculation but i've seen it before so mm-hmm. uh yeah I'm like all right what are the what are the best new toys because it it seems to me that they made a very deliberate effort to make these really good and they succeeded. Uh, Glacier is really good. Vultures is really good too. And uh, Lucky as well. These are, so I think something about it is like both of these Pokemon very much shine well behind screens. They're incredibly bulky. And uh, I like Moltres is a Pokemon that you almost fear attacking because of that weakness policy, because of that berserk ability. Uh, whereas Glacier is a Pokemon that you need to put damage into, uh, but it's just not going to go down fast enough. And uh, yeah, a lot of the, I think a lot of the team just makes sense. Um, you know, it, it's a really uh, strong composition. Uh, I think you had a similar-ish build to what Wolf ended up using in the tournament. Like, um, yeah. the roles were somewhat similar. Like there was a Regieleki instead of a Grimmsnarl and then a Kartana instead of an Amoongus. Um, you know, it, yeah, it's exactly. just, it, and we've seen, uh, I think somebody else. No, I don't know if there was anybody else that ran any famous build with, uh, Glacier and Moltres. Um, like I was thinking of like that, uh, Fevzi team from earlier in the format that had Regieleki with the screens and then, uh, a Glacier, but, uh, he did not have a Moltres on his team. So uh, just like the pairing of these two, it just seems like uh, just having two very strong modes, one obviously based on Trick Room and then one obviously not. So uh, it's really cool that the team rounds itself out that way. Yeah, and uh, the thing about it too is um, Rotom Heat got really popular and you would think Rotom Heat would match up well against both of these, but the base stat totals are too high. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just... Yeah, it's like, I was so worried about Rotom Heat, and Rotom Heat's still, like, a great choice for the metagame right now, but with screens, you just stop caring about the super effective attacks. I mean, Moltres is a Pokemon that I will argue is positive into Rotom Heat, especially with the set that you're running, the weakness policy, just, like, nasty plot, 
especially with screens. Um, you know, it's a Pokemon that is going to just lose that matchup, you know, like, uh, the, between the max dark drops, uh, really impacting your special defense to having to dance around hitting it super effectively. And if you're not hitting it super effectively, you're not doing real damage. You know, it, it, it just ends up being more favorable for the Moltres. Yeah. Just, a overall pretty, uh, well-balanced team. Um, so I like the choices here. You know, you have the options to, um, this is a team that can certainly operate w- without Trick Room, um, despite having a lot of slow Pokemon. And, um, you know, I, I did find it kind of weird, um, earlier when you mentioned, like, Grimstone was kind of a, uh, an odd choice for screens, but it's like, it's one of the premier screen setters in the game. Um, you know, I know Regilecki's been a popular pick within the last few weeks here, but, uh, Grimstone just gets the job done and is still a really good support Pokemon with the moves it gets. Man, the dual stab options on Grimstone are just so, so fun. Like, uh... A lot of people would run a uh, sucker punch on it to, you know, side activate a Metagross's weakness policy or something. But I also think it's just one of the most solid moves in the format. There's a lot of focus sash. There's a lot of Pokemon that are just going to live hits just barely. Uh, and it allows Grimmsnarl to get off one more attack uh, before going down. Uh, and it Spirit Break allows it to be a Pokemon that prevents the opponent from ignoring it, which is, I think, really important. Uh, you know, sometimes setting up screens can be a hindrance if that screen setter is just left on the field for too long. But uh, Grimmsnarl uh, can just start clicking Spirit Break and for non-negligible damage. You know, it, it's got like a 120 base attack stat. Like, it's just a very well-rounded Pokemon. Yeah, uh, yeah. two big things that came up with Grimmsnarl in the tournament. Um, Spirit Break makes it like a good matchup into Tapu Fini because... Um, if they're like hard targeting the Grimmsnarl down, then they're they're not like hitting your quote unquote important Pokemon, and they're not setting up. If they spend too much time setting up, you're kind of going neutral with the combines or favorable because you're damaging them. And then uh, the other thing is like, I I would max knuckle with Glacier, and then my Grimmsnarl is all of a sudden plus one, and those sucker punches like actually hurt. <laughs> so I you know I was like dealing like twenty five percent to like various Rotoms and stuff with sucker punch that is just like you can't play around it because uh, I'm just gonna hit the like I lock it out with sucker punch, and then I just uh, KO the other slot with Glacier. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. There's like, I can't even imagine the board state that leads to you getting up Max Knuckles <laughs> next to Grimmsnarl. Uh, right. What you, really des- what you described there was like kind of a. Uh, it reminded me of uh, when people. When we first got Expanding Force on Ndidi Female back in uh, the summer. And, uh, you know, Ndidi Female, you know, sometimes they would just run like all bulk, right? But Expanding Force is just going to be your attack move. And those attacks do a lot of damage, um, you know, because of the psychic terrain, because of the um, way expanding force works. And that reminded me a lot because, like, Ndidi Female is very much a support Pokemon, just like Grimmsnarl. And they're both doing a lot of damage with their uh, moves, at, with the options they get. So um, it's uh, kind of funny that uh, that parallel there. But, um, you know, again, well-balanced team here from you, Donald. So um, pretty cool, pretty cool. Do you have any uh, last comments about this team for anyone else who may be wanting to try it out or maybe adapt it? Yeah, as far as adaptions, uh, adaptations, I guess. Um, I think the Amoongus, Tapu Fini, and Moltres slot are pretty uh, flexible. Uh, like, the core of the team's definitely uh, Glacier, Dusclops, and Grimmsnarl. But I do think uh, people are going to start adapting to, like, Moltres plus Glacier in the future and uh tapu fini and amoongus um 
I, I, I think they're good, but they they could be better, although I don't even have the answer to that yet. Uh, so it's like a flexible shell, I guess you could call it, of uh, you have three Pokemon, and the other three Pokemon, as long as they synergize in some way, uh, you could kind of, I feel like you could kind of do whatever you want with them, as long as they are like good in screens and you have more Pokemon to put into Trick Room. Uh, cool. And I guess one one more thing to follow up on the team with, uh, or follow up with Donald is like, what would you think uh, the team just like struggles with most? Was there anything uh, that you knew you were weak going into the tournament, uh, week two of going into the tournament, or do you feel like it covered almost everything? Yeah. So the the two big things for me are um, Rotom Heat and Cartana. So I was talking about how like I could beat Rotom Heat or whatever, but the a lot of the teams right now have Cartana and Rotom Heat on them, but they don't build the team around them. Uh, so that's kind of how I was able to overpower a lot of those Pokemon in the tournament. But I do think if someone were to make a more deliberate effort to like prop up a Rotom Heat or uh, kind of any any like fire type or anything that has good matchups into Glacier and Moltres, and uh, Cartana is similar. A deal. I think if there was just more, I don't, I don't know exactly how they would do it, but uh, for example, like the Thun, the um, who did it, Benji and Andrew Ding, I think, with the like Nyligo, Thunderous, Urshifu, uh, Rotom Heat, Cartana team. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like those are potentially scary, and a lot of it comes down to like, oh, Moltres could be Cartana, but they could have something that beats Moltres, so it's kind of like a you know, who outleads who. Uh, so, yeah, there there are some... I could imagine some theoretical situa- like uh, teams that would be able to, like, kind of hard counter this. Uh, and, yeah, the other problem is kind of how outlined, like, a lot of the... A lot of these matchups are also come down to the lead. Uh, like, I actually called the team no good matchups because, like, I feel I could beat anything, but I feel like I have to like outplay and try to beat everything, which is really hard in a, in a long tournament. You can't expect to play perfectly for all nine rounds or whatever. Yeah, I think that's actually a pretty decent segue into uh, my team here because I was not trying to uh, play games. I was very much trying to steamroll my opponent with a very strong matchup, ideally. Uh, and so... Um, yeah, I ended up bringing, uh, as we mentioned in the last episode, Reggie Gigas, uh Weezing... Urshifu, Regieleki, uh, Rotom Heat, and Tapu Fini. And, uh, yeah, this was a team built by uh, my friend Kunal, who, um, yeah, he ended up, uh, you know, building it like, I don't know, I, I think when uh, the new uh, DLC came out, was very interested in uh, making Weezing work. It was finally Weezing's time to shine. You know, Weezing, of course, with the neutralizing gas ability, it's the only uh, Pokemon or, I guess, family line that gets it. It's just really, really sick uh, as an ability, especially in a doubles format. Um, you know, you you have to build your team very deliberately around it. And uh, I felt like these new Pokemon coming in were very ability-reliant, as well as um, uh, Regigigas was just a very solid partner for it. You know, a Pokemon that really didn't need its ability, but also um, helped support the Weezing in a way, too. 
Uh, I guess this was mostly through the uh, speed control that was provided by Max Strike. Uh, you know, Regigigas was uh, also a Pokemon that very much enjoyed being able to Dynamax. It's got solid bulk. It's just got great stats all around. And when you ignore the fact that it's no longer slow starting, uh, it's just like a really, really tough Pokemon to handle. And uh, yeah, Weezing, of course, uh, would be able to help support it by taunting like Trick Room Setters, um, Will-O-Wisping Physical Attackers, or uh, just chipping things down with Sludge Bomb. Um, yeah, like th- these two Pokemon just seem like they were made for each other. So, Alex, I do have a question for you um, about your item choices for some of these Pokemon. So, uh, I did also we did also get a question about your some of your item choices on from our Facebook group from uh, Rico from uh, from New Zealand. So, shout outs to Rico. But uh, I wanted to ask you on his behalf as well as my own uh, curiosity here is uh, you know I'm the Rotom Heat has a Citrus Berry and the Tabofini has a Leftovers, which are kind of standard on those two. Um, I want you to actually talk about the items on the other four Pokemon, though, and, you know, what kind of led to those decisions. Yeah, so, uh, Regieleki just kind of got the, the item that's left over. Um, like, it probably could have made use of some other items, um, but, like, I think Magnet's actually one of the best items on it right now. It's a Pokemon that just spams electric attacks, and so, why not pick the extra boost? Uh, this was a Regieleki that was pretty much meant to just do damage, you know? Like, there's, uh... I didn't really want to commit to this choice specs because I very much do enjoy, like, protecting my Regieleki. Uh, and so, uh, you know, having the magnet uh, allowed me to run protect and then just all my favorite electric moves, you know? Like, uh, it, it's just so dumb that we could run... Like, it reminds me a bit of, like, Xerneas, where it's like a Pokemon that can just get away with running stabs, stabs, stabs. Like, Xerneas didn't have immunities. Regieleki does have an immunity in uh, just ground types, which are not that uncommon. But it's still a Pokemon that just says, like, if you don't have an immunity, I'm going to just out-damage you. And that is just disgusting and fun. And so, um, Urshifu is a Pokemon that, like, I, uh, I'm really not happy with how it is, uh, coming to be in this metagame. It's very, very annoying. Uh, so, of course, I had to have one of my own. Um, you know, it's, like, it super simplifies, uh, endgames, which is what Urshifu, I think, does best. You know, it... It's a Pokemon that is balanced because of Dynamax. If there was no Dynamax, this Pokemon would be insane. Um, like, I, I don't even know how we're going to handle this thing in future formats. Uh, like, you know, way down the line when Dynamax is phased out, if it ever is, hopefully. Oh, good point. Uh, uh, it's just, uh, it's obnoxious. And so, like, the Choice Band allows us to deal just such uh, disgusting damage um, that... Uh, as I was saying earlier, really simplifies endgames. You know, Regigigas was uh, supposed to speed control the opposing team with max strikes, as well as just softening them up, you know, whether it was taking Okos or doing large chunks of damage. Um, it was oftentimes the Pokemon that would set up, like, max steel spike that Regigigas could not power through, such as, like, a Metagross or a Kartana. And those Pokemon just get ignored by the Wicked Blow in the endgame, and... Uh, you don't even have to predict which Pokemon is going to protect. It's just so, so uh, busted in that. Like, you don't have to think as hard, you know. In the endgame, uh, a lot of, like, VGC, uh, I don't know, sometimes in, like, very uh, fast-paced offensive formats, um, you could wrap up a game by just, you know, predicting which Pokemon is going to protect, and Urshifu just completely ignores that. If you know exactly which, uh, like, if the damage is unpreventable, things are going to be a lot simpler for you. 
Cool. And uh, I, I imagine the focus sash on Weezing was to obviously give it that extra turn to survive and keep neutralizing gas on the field with the Regigigas. Also, um, you know, also has good support moves so that just uh, lasts longer. And uh, you can play around switching it in and out too. And then Life Orb, I imagine, with uh, Regigigas is just like boost uh, more damage there. Yeah, yeah. Those ones are uh, pretty much what you said. Like, you know, Regigigas wants to be doing as much damage as possible. Um, you know, it doesn't really capitalize on using a weakness policy. It's uh, pretty weird that the team doesn't have a weakness policy. It's just, like, one of the best items. But the team did not need it, especially when the uh, primary Dynamax target was just that Reggie Gigas uh, almost every time. So uh, when Gigas is just going to be uh, taking the lead here, uh, Life Orb is definitely the second best pick on a Dynamax Pokemon. And then, yeah, Focus Sash on Weezing was, as you said, just to keep it around a little bit longer. Um, it's a Pokemon that's going to be protecting a lot. Um, it's going to be uh, trying to hang around as often as possible, and so uh, Sash just ends up being really nice. Though you could definitely consider something like Shucka or Citrus or even like Black Sludge. Uh, those are all probably solid options depending on what your team needs, if you need the Sash elsewhere or whatnot. Um Regigigas is just a really, really uh, fun Pokemon, and I, I it got a lot of buffs with uh, this generation. Uh, like it, it's important to mention, it didn't used to get Protect. Uh, that's really cool. And then Dynamax has just been very favorable for uh, a Pokemon with its stat um, total. Like I, I've seen Moltres, you know, nasty plot, and then like or like get its weakness policy, and also get the Berserk boost, and it's just like failing to two KO Regigigas and. The one that I was running had no bulk, you know. It was just all speed and attack, and it was still just got... It's got so many stats, you know. It's a 680-base Pokemon or something like that that uh, gets to use it all. Yeah, that is uh, pretty nuts here. Um, I guess uh, last thing I want to ask before we start talking about overall usage stats from the uh, top 64 here is what... Um, how do you think... The how do you think this duo of Weezing and Regigigas? Where do they go from here? How are they going to fare in the metagame of Series Seven moving forward? Because we are with this until at least the end of January. Yeah, so uh, it's definitely like something you can play around. Uh, I do think it's got a lot of uh, uh, flexibility to it. Uh, I, I think that it's kind of like uh, Colossal in that you can catch your opponent uh, over prepared for it and just you go another route. Uh, a lot of the times with this team, I would, uh, you know, consider leading uh, something other than just, you know, Weezing and Regigigas. Like, Urshifu and Regielucky next to each other is a very uh, strong lead. You can, you know, Electro Webs for speed control, and then Urshifu just takes its KO uh, on whatever it wants. Or you can, uh, you know, even do some cheeky things, like re leading Regielucky next to Regigigas and Volt Switching into the Weezing. Uh, or... Uh, just leaving both of the Weezing and the Regigigas on the field and, you know, having, uh, or off on the bench, that is, and then having Rotom Heat and Tapu Fini in the back to uh, just, you know, round things out and go from there. Like, it, it really tries to catch your opponent over committing when uh, they have a strong matchup. Uh, but if they have no matchup, then it's free to steamroll. I, I think that there's a lot of uh, potential for these Pokemon going forward. Like, it's just two Pokemon. And they can fit with pretty much any Pokemon that can clean up an endgame. You know, a team that's been uh, softened up or whatever. And, uh, you know, we've already seen other like uh, other approaches. Uh, like Fevzi, I saw, was laddering earlier today 
with uh, a colossal team that also has uh, Reggie Gus and Weezing on it. And oh man, uh, yeah, it's just like you know, it, it's pick your poison you know like what what do you think he's gonna go with is it gonna be the colossal mode is it gonna be the reggie gigas mode you know uh how do you prepare for both is there a lead that can cover both perfectly maybe not like I, it seems like something that's really tough when you think about it and so um just having those guessing games uh really puts the power in the reggie gigas players uh hands i think yeah so um those are both uh donald's and alex's team the teams there and you can check out their Twitters for more information about their uh, rental codes, as well as uh, just their teams in general, as well as uh, just what you heard here. But um, I want to uh, transition us to talking about just the uh, usage stats from the top 64 teams we saw from the Players' Cup 2. So um, these are obviously from the top 16 from each region, which we knew heading into week 2 of Players' Cup 2. And uh, we have usage usage stats compiled by Nimbasa City Post. So uh, shout out to Sam Temple once again. You know, great work you do over on that site. And um, I kind of just want to read out some of the uh, top few Pokemon in usage here. And then we can discuss other things that we notice. But um, Tapu Fini is first with uh, 30 used um, with 46.88%. Incineroar is in second with 23. Um, overall used Landorus Therian is in third with 21. Kartana at 17. Both Glacier and Rotom Heat at 16 each. Um, Amoongus and Urshifu, both at uh, 15. The Urshifu uh, distinctions are not uh, you know, distinguished by type, uh, or style, rather. And I guess type 2. But um, then there's Dusclops, Galarian Moltres, and Rillaboom with 13. And then Regieleki at 12, followed by Dragapult, Thunderous, and Tyranitar at 10 apiece. So, um... I'm sure the two of you ran into a lot of these while practicing for the Players' Cup too, and uh, just want to, uh, Donald. I want to start with you. What are your thoughts on just the way the top 64 um, usage stats kind of played out and showed us this uh, representation here? Yeah, so there was no huge surprises um, coming out of the Victory Road tournament the week before. Uh, if anything, I was like a bit surprised how fast people would catch on to Rotom Heat. Um, cause I actually locked my week, uh, my team a week early. I was like, I'm not gonna fret about the small details. So I was a bit caught off guard by the, uh, how much Rotom Heat was, but it did kind of show that it did feel like people put it on their team and I was able to overcome some of them, uh, because their team wasn't built around it. Uh, the thing that actually stood out to me was like literally everything below of what you mentioned. Uh, of course. So Torkoal <laughs> was, it's like everyone knows about Sun, but I feel like no one's talking about Sun. But it actually had a really good showing, and there was a lot of different Sun teams. Some ran Venusaur, some ran Charizard, some ran both. A lot of them had Stack Attacka too, which is um, these are like good Pokemon that I feel people are ex- like they just accept that like yes, this is a thing, but no one's like hyping it up as much as like Thunderous Urshifu or whatever. But it you know the showing was really not bad. Like nine Torkoal to 10 Thunderous, like it's kind of equivalent, right? Mm-hmm. Torkoal is like a, just a really awesome Pokemon right now. It's just got this great move pool. It, it just operates so differently than, uh, than it used to, I guess, in like, you know, past years, uh, I guess, 
ever since it got drought in uh, 2017. But this, listen to me just talking about old, old formats, huh, Donald? Anyway, um, <laughs> it, it's it's got a very different role to play now. It got access to like some fun new tools and, you know, I, I guess an old tool uh, in Yawn. Uh, Yawn being a, just a much stronger move now with uh, how it interacts with Dynamax. You know, it, it's a lot... Un- it's very uncomfortable to switch out a Pokemon that you've committed to Dynamaxing. And so... Uh, I've, that of course makes Yawn a lot stronger, and then it has like Body Press and Burning Jealousy. Uh, it's just like this sun-setting supporter uh, that it, it's just really cool to see. Um, I, I think that Torkoal's like in a really cool spot in the metagame. Uh, it also like helps uh, speed trap or like speed sandwich teams. You know, like it, it's the gonna be the slowest thing, and so if. Uh, if you try to set up Trick Room for your Glacier and they preserve their Torkoal, uh, it's going to be able to either get off a Yawn or a Burning Jealousy. And if you choose to not set up Trick Room, then uh, you know Torkoal's still going to be able to um, Burning Jealousy uh, Pokemon that go for boosting attacks. And it, it just seems like it, it really supports the team well with that that like kit, as well as having the option to go for like a, a specs eruption. You know, it, it's it's got some flexibility to it. Yeah, the uh, Torkoal is, uh, you know, that's just it's again just showing some more of its flexibility here, and uh, you know, it obviously can play into that speed sandwich with the Venusaur. You know, got the, one of the fastest things in the on the field, one of the slowest things on the field. And, uh, you know, one of the things Donald, you mentioned was the, uh, its presence, uh, partners sometimes with Stack Attacker, right? And, uh, Stack Attacker also, um, it operates a little differently than Dusclops because Dusclops, while it is very bulky and can deal consistent damage and it is, uh, you know, slow and takes a few turns to do that, Stack Attacker, uh, can hit hard and it can hit hard fast and start stacking those beats boosts. So, um, they play differently and Stack Attacker can be a threat, uh, more quickly than a Dusclops can. Yeah, Stack Attack is a Pokemon I really need to figure out. Um, that's, like, on my agenda. Uh, just, like, as I, you know, I want to continue playing this format, I've been having a lot of fun. So it's like, okay, what are the next steps? Because I think the format has a lot of room to grow. And uh, Stack Attack is, I, I literally have it written down on a right, uh, whiteboard of, like, things I need to test. Um, the I wasn't too impressed with it leading up to the Players' Cup uh, because it feels like, it's trying to be Dusclops and Glacier in one, uh, and it's just too hard to consistently set the Trick Room. But as I've been thinking more about it, I think uh, like the moment you add Protect to it and you have to give up Body Press, uh, then it becomes a lot more well-rounded. Because um, I played against a Stack Attack uh, in Week 1, and I noticed that Oh, it didn't have protect. I max knuckle into it, get around the Shuka because of all the open information, and it was pretty easy to deal with. But I think the moment I see protect on a team sheet, it makes doubling into it uh, a lot more sketchy and and makes the Pokemon way more well well rounded. So while the body press and the huge defense stat is cool, I don't think it's uh, super necessary right now. I think it's a little tough to call stack attack a well rounded. <laughs> <laughs> However, I do I, I agree and disagree with your points there, Donald. I think the move to drop on it is uh is Trick Room. I think that you need to just make your stack attack a, a Glacier. I think that's the role that it needs to play, is that it's gonna be supported by a Trick Room setter like a Dusclops and just run three awesome attacking moves and protect. Like I think body press is just too too sick to give up, especially with how it pairs with Beast Boost and Max Steel Spike. Like 
it's just the move that you want to be clicking post Dynamax. And uh, I don't know. I think that uh, there's definitely options. I think both of these approaches can work. Um, I think that there's a lot of untapped potential for this Pokemon. And uh, speaking of like other rock types, uh, I think we talked about it a bit last week, Steven, Neolego, but uh, it's still worth mentioning that uh, it had eight appearances here. And uh, yeah, that Power Herb set is the one that's on the rise. It's just, it's really just a move that was made for Neolego. Uh, it can be incredibly dangerous. Um, it, it's a move that allows it to hit like it is Dynamaxed, even though it's not. And uh, that just seems unfair, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's found itself a cool spot. It's it, it's still able to run just dual stab with like power gem and sludge bomb. It's got the option to fit trick room onto the set. Uh, other than that, it doesn't really have a much else going for it. But it doesn't really need much else. It's a uh pretty scary Pokemon to be facing down uh when it starts getting beast boosts going. Yeah, and it's really cool. Like you can uh adjust the the stats so that you can either choose to get your beast boost in speed or special attack. And uh, it's nice that it um, compounds well into, you know, partner Dynamaxes as well. So if you want to get an Airstream with it, you'll get your speed as well as your, you know, the power, uh, the Meteor Beam boost in special attack. So there's just a lot you can do with this Nile Lego. And uh, I am, like, not, not I'm not surprised at its uh, showing here, but I'm more impressed is what I want to say. Is uh, I'm impressed with its uh, finishes here because, like, this was one of the things that... Um, you know, seem to be somewhat uh, on the rise as heading into this tournament. Yeah, that was another Pokemon I, I was kind of hoping to dodge alongside Rotom Heat. It was, it was like kind of cutting edge technology, and, and I was hoping to, oh, if you do have Nilego, maybe my team's more tuned than yours at least. Because, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, uh, it's the real deal. Those Meteor Beams hurt. Now, uh, moving up the uh, usage here, um, I think Metagross is a Pokemon that I want to touch on just because it seems like it was just, I don't know, not living up to the hype is uh, the best way that I can uh, phrase it in short. But um, it's a Pokemon that seems like it was overprepared for. Um, a lot of teams were running Urshifu Dark, and uh, that just makes it very awkward to use Metagross. And I don't know exactly what else was like the the thing that kept Metagross from shining as much as uh, we thought it might. Uh, maybe it was just that it was like the one Pokemon with such a big target on its back that everybody made sure they had a matchup for it. Um, I know that Rotom Heat was kind of like the tech to uh, prevent Metagross from going crazy. Uh, like there there was a ton of Rotom Heat in uh, the uh, what is it, the Latin America region. Uh, it, it just was like, what, like top six overall? Uh, it's so wild to think. I know this is just one tournament, but Rotom Heat does not seem like a top six Pokemon. It was definitely something that was like brought up as a counterpick to both Metagross and in a way uh, a little bit Glacier. Yeah, I I agree with your assessment. I, I think Metagross is still fine, but it felt like the only, like, it felt like the single team that people had to prepare for, because everything else was, like, kind of too new to say, to think if it was consistent or not, and it was like, yeah, you know, the format was so new when the tournament started that I was like, I don't know what matchups to prepare for other than Metagross and, like, make sure I don't get spored to death by Amoongus. 
Yeah, I think uh, that's the big thing there. And the word you use down there is consistent. So uh, Metagross, one thing is uh, you can say about it is that it is consistent and is consistently good. Um, with that being said, everyone's preparation for this tournament knew this was a Pokemon you had to be ready for. You had your matchup for it. And um, it was incredibly relevant at the beginning of this format. Now, um, given this kind of like somewhat lackluster showing in the uh, Players' Cup 2, I think that um, people might get be a little bit more lax with their uh, team prep for it as the format moves on. And as it becomes a little bit less relevant, um, there is an opportunity there for Metagross to strike back in a way. So um, it's definitely not a Pokemon that's going to go away in this format anytime soon. I think people are just gonna have to re reinvent the wheel with uh, Metagross. They like they're gonna have to try something new because uh, a lot of Metagross teams just started to feel all the same, and uh, I think that they just couldn't keep up with uh, the meta game as it evolved. Uh, like, they're gonna have to try some new stuff. Like I think the people that were experimenting with different moves on Metagross, whether it was running like Zen Headbutt to turn off uh, Misty Terrain and allow your Amoongus to spore things, or running the Rock move to beat the Rotom Heats, um, to beat the Heat, haha. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, I think that like Metagross is going to have to start varying it up uh, if it wants to be able to keep up with this metagame. Um, uh, other Pokemon that I think are like noteworthy, uh, like a lot of these like just seem... Uh, pretty like standard picks like seeing finny at number one is just like like i don't know it's so weird to think but like it makes a lot of sense um it's the pokemon that like i don't it did not get hurt much at all uh, like to think uh with the terrain nerfs tapu finny didn't get nerfed at all because misty terrain was never <laughs> never doing much anyway uh like i guess damage wise and so it's really funny that uh tapu finny just rises to uh success or rises to the occasion, whatever. Um, it's it's fun. Uh, like, Insin and Landorus and Kartana here being at the top are not too surprising. Kartana, uh, I guess that's a little bit interesting. I don't know if Kartana's ever been this high in usage, but again, this is just one tournament. And then uh, one Pokemon that I really want to pick on here is Rillaboom. I'm just surprised people are still using this Mon. Like, I've played plenty of Rillaboom in testing, and every time I did, it just felt terrible. I just don't understand what people are doing with it. Maybe people just haven't moved on from it being amazing in Series 5. Um, I don't know. It, it, I, can anybody else explain what Rillaboom's doing now? So I th the biggest thing is it beats Tapu Fini, like very easily. So, and, you know, if half of your opponents are going to be playing Tapu Fini, that's not a bad mod to have on your team. Mm -hmm. uh, some other thing that I saw in the tournament, uh, I played against a Taunt Rillaboom. And that was really annoying because I couldn't protect my Dusclops with the Moongus. Uh, so there might be some of that going on. I do think that just Taunt is one of the uh, stronger moves in the format. And I was happy to have it on my team going into this tournament. I uh, I just saw that there was a lot of like redirection Trick Room setting. And uh, it's really nice to have a Pokemon that can just uh, turn that all off. There's Obviously, there's a lot of hard-hitting Pokemon in the format as the uh, power creep goes up and up and up. But as the power creep goes up and up and up, you're going to find a lot of uh, supporting Pokemon uh, next to those, uh, you know, buff, strong hitting Pokemon. And so I, I think that Taunt is just in a really good place in the format right now. Yeah, one uh, one other thing I want to point out, I guess two other things I want to point out is, uh, you know, there's one use of a Weezing and Regigigas. They happen to be on the same team and like, wow, 
that that dude was crazy running that stuff. But um, the real thing <laughs> I want to point out here is uh, Cresselia with uh, three uses overall. And um, like it was weird. It was not that hot of a pick. We were thinking uh, heading into the format, and I'm still not really sure what it's doing. Man, I remember uh, like talking with Donald about Cresselia specifically going up to the tournament, and I think that our opinions of Cresselia was like a roller coaster. Like it, sometimes it was like, like at the beginning we were like, no, this is like a, a terrible Pokemon. And then we're like, wait, it actually might be good. And then we're like, no, this is like really underperforming. This is not a good Pokemon at all. I don't know where you ended up landing on that, Donald. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, I don't have like much experience with Cresselia other than like stall teams in Gen 4 OU, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, when I play Cresselia, it's like, okay, it has all the same, like, bulk as everything else, but then I just, like, I get in these late games and I click Psychic, and I'm like, oh, that did 15 damage, and Dusclops does 50. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, I don't really get it. Uh, every, I guess, at the end of the day, the most impressive use of Cresselia I've seen is when it clicks Ally Switch and, and uh, catches a Max Quake, so at the end of the day, it, I... I don't think it does enough uh, outside of ally switch spamming, I guess. Yeah, that's really uh, the fun thing about ally switch in this tournament. I remember, uh, I did I, I don't know if I told this joke on the last episode, uh, Steven, <laughs> apologies. But I remember mentioning like how in 2018, uh, Cresselia would just like click ally switch turn one and then never again through the rest of the set so that you would just get in your opponent's head. Uh, but now with open team sheets, you don't even have to click it turn one. You can just have it there and just never click it just so that one turn of the game, you know, your opponent's going to look like a fool. <laughs> uh, poor, poor Cresselia, how the uh, tides have turned over the years. But, um, yeah, I was wondering, uh, if there are any last closing thoughts you two have on these usage stats on a Pokemon or just what you've seen overall, um, so that we can move on to our last topic here or before we move on. Yeah, I have one that stood out to me. I was actually surprised at the amount of Landorus. Um, I I just never been impressed with that Pokemon, so I'm curious if one of y'all could sell me on it. So Landorus is uh, in a weirder spot in this format with the, there's just being so much ice coverage to already hit flying Pokemon, and then uh, a lot of the physical attackers just ignoring it. Um, I think the best thing Landorus is doing right now is being an immunity to Regieleki, and that's really about it. Uh, I think that people are going to have to try different approaches to it. Uh, we just saw uh, Colin Hire, the Battle Room, end up winning a uh, the Streamer Cup or whatever with Swords Dance Landorus. And uh, I think Swords Dance Landorus is going to be a cooler approach to the Pokemon. I think that it's no longer this like switch in, switch out, intimidate bot that we're used to, and I think people are going to have to finally use it for that massive attack stat uh, to just go all in. Uh, I think that, uh, who was it? I think it was like the European European player Desu, who used like a life orb on it, and uh, just used it in a much more aggressive role, and I think that's going to be a, a, a better approach for Landorus, because I think people, the only reason that it's up there is just, you know, people playing to their old, uh, old tactics. Like, I, I think that uh, it, it doesn't shine quite as well as it used to. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Like, again, that's somewhat showing the reinvention of the wheel that you kind of pointed out. Metagross kind of needs to do um, to kind of propel itself forward a little bit here. So Lander, people are doing that with Landers already. Um, Alex, I wanted to get see if you had a uh, any 
closing thoughts on the stats here or a Pokemon or something? Uh, I guess one that like is n- probably right where it belongs, but I was still surprised to see it is Regieleki. I think that it's a really insane Pokemon, and uh, I expected it to be on more teams than uh, around 20, 20%. I expected it to be around like Kartana level usage. Like I, I thought it was going to be more used than Glacier, uh, but I guess Glacier is the Pokemon that everybody uh, just kind of clung to. It's like this Pokemon that got everything that it needed uh, to make an Ice-type viable, so... Uh, and a lot of people run them together. I, I think that they're just like a really awesome, like, I think that they knew what they were doing with Regieleki Glacier. They seemed like two Pokemon that were meant to be together. I know that you found, uh, you know, you were able to go 5-0 with, uh, Grimmsnarl setting the screens instead, uh, Donald, but like, um, I think that like Regieleki, uh, Ice Horse, whatever its name is, Glacier, just <laughs> makes too much sense because it's like that bolt beam coverage. Uh, with a speed sandwich on top of it, and like they just support each other so well. Regieleki being a Pokemon that really doesn't need to Dynamax to just do amazing things, and Glacier being a team's usual like primary Dynamax target, uh, they just pair so well together. I was expecting to see more of that in the tournament. Alrighty then, so that was uh, you know some talk about the usage stats from the Global Top 64 of Pokemon Players Cup 2, uh, accounting for all regions there, and um. You know, obviously we'll get to talk about the region qualifiers conclusion a little bit more in the future in a few weeks time. But for now, that's all we can talk about. So we're going to move on to our last topic here of the show. And that is actually a uh, live event update from TPCI uh, about, you know, just the stuff regarding when we can return to play to live events in the future. So there was an article posted uh, last week on Pokemon.com as well as they, I believe they tweeted it out from the Play Pokemon account on Twitter. Um, just speaking about, you know, what their, uh, plans are for updating us with live competitions moving forward. So, um, basically the gist of the announcement is that, uh, obviously live events remain suspended for the rest of the calendar year 2020 and that play Pokemon is going to be evaluating the situation and they'll actually be providing updates for us, um, monthly now starting in December. So every month they're going to update us on the situation of uh, live events, when those can resume. And they're also going to be evaluating those on uh, a region-by-region basis. So um, various countries, perhaps uh, rating zones, and in the United States here, uh, where we are, they're going to be doing it by U.S. state as well. So there's actually a lot to talk about here about this uh, topic and return to play. So um, just first off, I want to get some of your uh, general thoughts about this announcement. I think it's uh, a little bit of a mess. Like, I, I, I don't know how soon we're going to be able to return to play, but like the the thought of them doing it state by state just sounds very iffy. Because um, as soon as you make you know tournaments legal in Ohio, uh, there's going to be somebody that lives close enough to the border or not. You know, there's going to be some desperate players that are going to be you know coming from all over to be able to play live events again and. That's exactly the opposite of what we're wanting to encourage here. You know, you're not supposed to be traveling as much during a pandemic, uh, if, especially for something as recreational as Pokemon. And so I'm really hoping that uh, this doesn't motivate people to, you know, leave their state to go play in other tournaments. I guess maybe they could, like, pull some kind of, like, residency restrictions, you know? You you have to have proof of residence. Uh, but it, there's already some... Uh, <laughs> Pokemon doesn't really, really uh, check residency as much as they should. Um, gonna give 
the Oceania region, a little shout out here. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I don't think that that's going to be something the, that ends up being the case. And so uh, I really don't want that to be what ends up happening. Um, yeah, I, I really think that it's going to be weird. Like I, again, I don't want America to be the one holding the circuit back because uh, we're handling well, this we so are. poorly. We will be. I know. Like what I'm saying is that we're going to be the one holding the circuit back. Like when other countries might be ready to start things up again. Uh, like I, I know that like Australia and New Zealand are doing pretty well. At least I know New Zealand is. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just it's tough because I don't want America to be the one holding people back, but I also don't want people to uh, I don't want them to get the wrong idea by opening up certain regions and then people start you know traveling all over, which is exactly the opposite of what we need right now. Yeah, I, I'd hope with the state-by-state state thing, it, it would be, like, no CP or any, like, actual stakes attached. And uh, even the state-by-state state thing, I, I don't think they would... That's not going to be till way later down the road. Uh, the other countries and stuff, yeah, might might open up sooner than later. But, uh, yeah, I hope it's just not, like... Oh, New Hampshire's fine, and then and then uh, go get your CP in New Hampshire. Oh yeah, God, that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, these are just all really valid points. Like there are travel restrictions to think about um, going from within the country here from state to state, but also like if other regions open up before us, you know, we may not be able to. Um, you know, people from other regions may not be able to go to that region. Like, say, if New Zealand starts having uh, events first, then, you know, they can play. And I don't even know if championship points will be involved. But um, some people may get really, really desperate and may want to travel there. But I think those things are banned right now um, in a lot of places in the world. And, like, uh, various places in Europe, you know, and Latin America, there are tons of different countries there. And if it's uh, only certain countries have events and others don't, you know, people are going to be really jealous about that and might try to uh, sneak by some of these regulations too. It's all a really big mess. Um, one thing I like is that TPCI is being transparent with us, somewhat transparent with us with these monthly updates with what's going on. Um, again, um, I like that part. Just the overall um, idea behind this though is like some may start before others. Like uh, It kind of makes sense, but I also don't like it from a circuit, uh, global circuit perspective. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, just dodge the question here in case you are planning on asking it anyway, Stephen, is, like, predictions on when live events will come back. Um, I, I just think it's uh, tough to say, and, like, I, I don't really want to give myself hope, you know? Like, I things have been going so poorly with uh, our response to COVID that I, I really just want us to push it as far away as uh, possible for us to get things right. You know, like we, we really don't deserve events right now. We we can't handle them yet. And so I uh, I hope that it's um, I hope that they push it off longer than uh, than any prediction I make, because I, I want uh, things to be completely settled before. we're And like, you know, if, uh, we can actually be safe at events before we even consider, you know, going back. Gotcha. So. Alex is not brave enough to uh, maybe pinpoint a, or maybe predict a date or a month when we're going to get to live events. Donald, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, so my most optimistic answer is uh, June or July of next year. Like, that is, that's like best case scenario for me. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So, and 
you know. So I I don't know. Um, I honestly think like a regional or something is probably going to take till twenty twenty two. Uh, I just can't see like anyone being like, okay, we're going to be the first big major convention. Like, but and then if that goes wrong, oh god, because uh, like it's not it, even outside of Pokemon and regionals and all that and BGC is like a lot of these uh like PAX East and uh, GDC, just a huge, all the conventions are like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to handle that, but like, it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be the first, like I think it's whatever conventions the first, that's kind of going to open the floodgate. But even then, like, I don't think that's going to be a thing till 2022. You stole the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, who's going to be the one to open the floodgates. Yeah. Like once, uh, once, some group or convention or whatever says that it is okay to return to uh, a live event setting. Uh, all the like companies and such are gonna, you know, leap at the chance to uh, get back to the to how things were. You know, uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be scary. <laughs> yeah, with what's uh, happening right now in time, um, it's November twenty twenty. We're like on the brink of per- potentially having a, a vaccine available, starting to become available to like frontline. Uh, healthcare workers, and then general population, like, later in the summer of 2021. Um, so there's a glimmer of hope, right? Uh, my prediction for when live events will resume is I'm going to... I'm going to pick a year from now. November 2021 is, like, uh, I don't know. Maybe that'll be a time. Like, I've said it before on the show. I'm still sticking with it. I do not think we're going to have Worlds next year. So it's sad, unfortunate, but that's the reality of it. And... um Again, my pick will be November 2021, um, but I I do feel like, uh, Donald, your prediction is probably a little bit closer to the accurate one. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, there's a difference between, like, oh, you could go play a local versus, like, oh, let's hold a regional. So, yeah, like, I think locals are around, like, uh, summer of next year, and then, yeah, uh, not even thinking about regionals or any big-scale thing till 2022. Man, I hope that they uh, use this, like, as a hard reset to just fix this like wonky schedule that we've always had to deal with. I know that it's like very dependent on when the games release, but it'd be nice if like, ugh, never mind, never mind. This is, it's just too, <laughs> it's too tough to change. Worlds has to be at the end of the summer and then the games release at the end of the year. It's just, ah, I really wish that we could work around this somehow. Like, this would be the time to make those big changes, but uh, I don't think anything will happen. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, We'll see what happens with this. Um, and of course, with the, of course, dynamic situation of the COVID-19 pandemic around the world. And uh, this is obviously affecting more than just Pokemon, but we talked about the Pokemon related issues here today. So um, maybe I'll see you two at a live event in the future, some point, who knows. But um, I think that's going to do it for our show here today. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Donald for being on the show with us today. We really appreciate your time. Uh, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. No, this was fun. Uh, yeah, I, it, you know, anytime I have a, a good result, feel free to hit me up. Oh yeah, we'll make sure to ignore you completely uh, if you continue to suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, um, everyone, 
Thank you, the listeners, so much for listening. Remember, you can find us in a variety of different places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify are the highlight podcast platforms out there. But you can also find us pretty much anywhere else you can find your shows. Remember to tell your friends about us, about that there is a show about competitive Pokemon here called The Hyper Voice. You can also send your questions, comments, and feedback to our email bgchyperboice at gmail.com. Remember to leave us feedback on app, uh, like Apple Podcasts, for example. You can leave us a review. You know, it helps with visibility so that others can discover the show um, about competitive Pokemon. And you can find the show on Facebook and on Twitter at The Hyper Voice. Lastly, you can follow the three of us personally on Twitter as well. You can follow me at Super Morioka. Alex, where can people follow you? You can follow me at Lexicon VGC. And Donald, where can people follow you? Yeah, Donald WSJR. Great. Thank you, the listener, so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And stay tuned for more of the Hyper Voice. Alola. Alola.